Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Here for the Crack with me, Emma Neil. I hope you're all doing good, my queens. I feel like it's been a good week, no? I don't know, the sun's been out anyway, so that's a good week to me. And Miss Girl is going on holiday tomorrow. It's actually come out of nowhere. I completely forgot we were going. Like, holidays always seem like they're in the far distant future. And then before you know it, you have to pack for it in two days time. And for once in my life, I actually packed more than a day before. I don't know. I just need that added stress, the pressure of knowing you need to pack for the next day to be able to pack. But my new suitcase didn't arrive, which I'm kind of fuming about because I was really excited to go traveling with a new suitcase. Like, there's just no better feeling, but it didn't arrive. So... I managed to hook one out of the... I actually thought I was going to have to go buy a new one in TK Maxx, but I managed to find one that was like the size I wanted in TK Maxx. Sorry, in my attic, not in TK Maxx. Because basically, I normally always travel hand luggage when we go like on summer holidays. The only time I don't do hand luggage is when I've gone like traveling, traveling, you know? But I just decided this year, you know what? Fuck that. I'm away for three weeks. I'm not doing... Do do you know what it is, right? I can do clothes-wise, I can do hand luggage toiletry wise makeup wise no like you think with curly hair I'm gonna be able to do hand luggage toiletries absolutely not no way in hell I'm gonna have to wash my hair three times while I'm out there so I did splash out and pay for a little added suitcase look at me (laughs) but I'm actually really happy about it because no I'm an options girly you know if I'm going on one night away literally to the north coast I will have a big suitcase no not a big suitcase but I'll have like a suitcase the same size as if you were going somewhere for a week because I like my options. So I feel like for three weeks, every island could be a different vibe. I need different options. Who knows what the crack's going to be? Am I going to want to wear heels? Am I going to... Probably not, to be honest. It's going to be all like cobbled everywhere, isn't it? I don't know. I've never been to Greece. I've never been to any of the Greek islands. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what the what the energy's going to be like, what the nights out are going to be like. I feel like Mykonos will be the only bougie one and then everywhere else will be very casual. Have I told you guys about this holiday? I, have I spoken about it? I, I get really confused what platforms I've spoken about what on or if it's just to a friend I've spoken about it to or if it was you guys. I'll tell you a little bit about my trip anyway. So basically me and my family are flying out tomorrow and my brother's girlfriend Beth, she's coming with us. My brother's actually meeting us out there. So we're all flying to Athens tomorrow morning. Actually, we're getting the bus down to Dublin at 1am tonight. Well, tonight's last tomorrow morning, which is kind of hellish, but you literally can't fly anywhere from Belfast these days. So we kind of always have to go from Dublin. So yeah, we're flying to Athens. We're doing a few days in Athens. Then we're going to, I can't remember the order, but we're going to Mykonos and Milos, two different islands. And then my parents go on themselves to a little, I, I think they're going to like an all-inclusive on another island for a week. And I go off on my own to an island called Naxos. I'm staying there for three days and then I'm getting the boat to Paros where my friend Aoife is flying out to meet me. We're doing Paros, Antiparos and Eos at the end. We party island at the end. I'm so excited. Like I've dreamed about going to the Greek islands for so long because my mum has always talked about them with such fond memories. Like she always tells the funniest stories from her times in the Greek islands. Basically, I think 
from when she was like 18 to 21, I think there was a big group of them. Like she went to one of the Catholic schools in Belfast and it's kind of like just like the same way it is now where all the Catholic schools, like everyone knows each other and they all like, you know, plan holidays for the same time stuff. But basically all of them would just go to the Greek islands for like the whole summer. They'd spend like three months there and they would literally just like set up in a campsite and just get like wee jobs and bars and get sacked after three days for not showing up because they were too hungover or you know what I mean? They were just like constantly rotating new jobs and just having the time of their life like all on a big campsite in Greece together. So yeah, she's just kind of always talked about those trips and it's always made me want to do the Greek islands. But then from what I saw of the Greek islands, like on social media and stuff, it looked so different to what she was talking about. It's obviously become so much more touristy and a lot more like bougie and I mean, we've all seen it, haven't we? I feel like the ones that spring to mind are like Mykonos, Santorini and... I feel like there's another one that's really touristy, but I can't even remember. So yeah, they're obviously very different to like what my mum experienced. And I think in my head, I was like, oh, I don't want to go to like just this really overpriced touristy island just because she said it's this way and it ends up being a completely different thing. After a bit of research, I've kind of discovered that I think there are still some that are a bit more quieter. I don't really know. Do you know what? I'll find out when I'm there and I'll let you guys know. I'll suss it out. I did put up a thing on my Instagram story asking for like Greek Island recommendations though and so many of you guys were so helpful with that. That's how I actually decided where to go from after I left my family. There's so many other ones that were recommended and like on the other side of Greece and stuff. I would love to go back at some point. We'll see how expensive it actually is because I kind of get the impression the quieter, less touristy islands aren't that expensive but I don't want to speak too soon. Who knows? Wait, oh my god, the last time I spoke to you was the night before I was doing my moped thing, wasn't it? <gasps> oh my god. Wait, you know what? I'm going to get myself a little iced coffee here. I'm sweating away in my room because I had to close my windows to do this podcast so I don't feel like the neighbours are listening to me. And it's a fucking sweat box in here. I'm going to go get myself a little iced coffee and an iced water and I will be right back to tell you all about my moped course. You guys go get a little drink for yourselves too, maybe a little snack. Or maybe you're driving, if you are, sorry. We're back, baby. Goods have been secured. Iced coffee is in hand. Where were we? Oh, the moped course. Right, so of course I took a beta blocker before it because if I didn't, I honestly think I would have been a severe danger, a severe hazard on the road because when you get panicky and you're doing something like that is when you do stupid things. It's when... For example, when I crashed in Thailand, I panicked and pulled the throttle and obviously came flying off it. So obviously didn't want a repeat of that, did we? So yeah, I'm really happy I did take the beta blocker because I don't think I would have made it on the roads, basically, if I hadn't have. Let me first explain to you the format of the day. It actually turns out, I think I mistold you what it was last week because I wasn't really 100% sure of what it even was before I did it. But obviously the guy like fully explained everything to me. So it's called your CBT, which stands for Compulsory Basic Training for Motorbikes. So basically they introduced this not that long ago, like maybe five years ago. I don't even know if it was that long ago. And it was because... Before that, you didn't have to have anything to get out in the roads as a learner moped driver. So like there was nothing stopping anyone from the age of, I think it's 17, from just literally getting a bike and going out on the roads, having had no prior training, lessons, experience, anything 
or even like talk with anyone about road theory and shit. Literally anyone and everyone could just go out on it without having anything. So people were, there was just too many injuries, too many accidents, too many bad things happening um, as a result of this. They introduced this thing called a CBT. So basically it doesn't matter whether you're wanting to drive a 125cc moped or a 600cc Kawasaki Ninja. Wait, I I don't even know if a Kawasaki Ninja is 600cc. I literally just made that up. Anyway, you get the point. Like it doesn't matter what kind of bike you want to get a license for. Everyone across the board has to do their CBT before they can get out in the roads. And I think the main reason for this, because obviously with a car, you don't need to have like a thing to then go out and be a learner. But that's because when you're in a car, you've got someone in the car with you instructing you. Whereas when you're on a moped, you're on your own. Like, yeah, you've got someone in your ear if they're talking to you on the radio thing. But realistically, you're on your own. Because even the radio thing, like that's only if you're getting the lesson or if you're doing something with someone like you know, there were so many people going out before just practicing themselves and they were just completely on their own with no guidance whatsoever. Whereas obviously when you're in a car, you've got an instructor or you've got, you know, legally you have to have someone who has driven for more than five years, don't you? In the front seat. And I guess as well, a lot of instructors now also have that dual control thing where they've also got a clutch and brake on their side. And they're also very quick to jump in and grab a hold of the steering wheel when necessary. A CBT isn't a license. It's basically like getting your provisional because then you can go out as a learner. But I guess the main difference of being a learner as a moped driver and being a learner as a car driver is that there's no restrictions in terms of having to have someone to go out with. So like I could just go out on a moped now on my own without anyone else as long as I've got a learner sign. But there's also the same restrictions where, you know, you can't go above what is it, 40 or 45 miles per hour? You can't go on motorways, but to be honest, you wouldn't want to be going on a motorway on a moped anyway. And you've got your CBT for two years. And within that two years, you need to get a license. Otherwise, then it becomes invalid and you need to do it again. And you basically can get a license for the different CCs of a, of a motorbike. Do you know what I mean? Like if I wanted to just get my license for a 125cc, I could do that. But if I wanted to do it for a higher up one, I could also do that. Yeah, it just depends what you want to drive at the end of the day, I think. Like if you wanted to get like a old Vespa and drive a manual scooter, you'd have to get a license where you learn on a manual one. Do you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't be able to just now go and drive a manual scooter because I wouldn't have a fucking clue how to work the clutch thing on your left foot. But my plan isn't to get a license anyway. My plan was literally just to do the CBT for a bit of confidence. I have absolutely no intentions of driving a moped in the UK. I mean, don't get me wrong. It would be fun. Over summer, there's times where you're like, oh, it'll be so cool to have a little moped right now scooting about. But I'm so fine in my car that protects me. <laughs> I do not need to get out on the roads in the UK on a moped. Like... Cars here do not have any time for cyclists or moped or motorbike drivers. They just do not like them. We're not used to them. So we don't check our mirrors to the extent that we should, like not in the same way where if you were in, you know, Paris or Madrid or Barcelona or like any of the countries in Asia where they all drive mopeds. They're all so aware of mopeds constantly and we're just not the same, which is why there are so many accidents with them. And I would say nine times out of 10, when you are renting a scooter, when you're in other places like in Europe or in Asia on holiday or whatever it is, you don't actually need a license. You literally just need to 
be confident, I guess, in yourself. And the only way I was going to be able to get that confidence was by doing the CBT and getting like lessons in it. It's basically just like a full day course, like a full day lesson. So the structure is basically you sit down at the start for maybe like not even an hour. I'd say if you didn't have your driving license, it's actually because my friend did it and she didn't have her driving license and she said hers was a two day course. So I don't know if because she didn't have her driving license, she had to do maybe a lot more theory than I did. We started off with like an hour in the morning of theory, which was a little bit of just like general road theory, but more focused on like driving a moped slash motorbike theory and like how you need to be wary and how it's different to driving a car and the different things you're going to encounter like yeah that type of thing then we took the bikes to a little park I'm not sure if the purpose of the park is for this or if it's just happens to be a park that's nearby but yeah it was just a big tarmac park basically first of all they show you everything on the bike they show you how to check all your lights your oil you know all that shit like you're supposed to do in your car as well they teach you that on the bike then they teach you starting from stop and learning to go really slowly with the bike and how to control the throttle so you're just really getting a handle on the bike at this point going really super slow like not even past 10 miles an hour they introduce turns they do, you know, U-turns. Then they set out some cones and you'll do like zigzag in and out of the cones. You'll do figures of eight. They do some like exercises where you have to speed up and then they'll put their hand up and you have to emergency stop type of thing. And we basically just kind of kept working on those manoeuvres until we felt confident in everything, until they could see that we were getting the hang of things and, you know, just sharpening your U-turns and learning how to, say, turn right from a stopping position as, as if you were turning right at a junction, like at lights. We had a quick break for lunch and after lunch then we sat down for a little tiny bit more road theory but more just to like make sure we were all on the same terms with how we were going to go about being out in the roads in the afternoon, if that makes sense. So the order of like checking your mirrors, then moving out to your lane, then all that shit. So went over that for a little bit. They go through like the cards to show you like in these situations, this is where you would be, this is where you would manoeuvre to, and then you would take the turn and then you would look and blah, blah, blah. And then we literally went out in the roads. And I was so scared because... In the morning, he had said, he was like, I would say probably one in 10 people don't make it out on the roads. Like from our morning session, we can obviously grasp how things are going. And if we don't feel like you're there, we will not bring you out if it's not safe. And in my head, I was like, it's going to be me. I'm the one in 10. But I was actually so fine. Like I couldn't have been more fine. I'm a very, I'm not a nervous driver. I would just say I'm a bit of a safe driver. I'm just very, I have my wits about me and I'm very cautious that's what we'll say a bit of a granny driver <laughs> but like, I was like that when I was learning in a car as well all my family used to slag me off for being a granny driver up until literally about two years ago <laughs> but I don't think there's anything wrong with that I'd rather be a granny driver than an unsafe driver I hate being a passenger in the car of someone who's just so overly confident when they're driving like I really hate that but anyway it just meant I was taking corners quite slow and stuff on the moped which suits me you know I'd rather take it slower than come off the side of it basically so there was two of us and then the one instructor and we started off on the roads with the instructor ahead he's speaking into the mic and we've got like an earpiece on under our helmets and he's basically just like telling us okay now we're gonna take a left we're gonna indicate we're gonna move to the left of the lane just like getting us used to all these different things and then after about half an hour of him being in front then 
the other person went in front and then after that person being in front for half an hour then I went in front and basically he is monitoring you from behind to see that you're doing all the correct things in terms of like mirror checks indicating uh moving into the lane at the right time staying you know making sure there's enough space between you and cars when you stop as long as he's like observed you and if everything's been okay then they pass you on the cbt so i passed i was all biz i honestly never thought the day would come and now i just i feel so confident not so confident but like i would be pretty happy now to rent a scooter out elsewhere but i will not be having someone on the back I, how do people do that? Because <laughs> it just completely throws off the weight and your balance and the turns and everything if they don't lean with you. And also, I can just about hold the bike up as is. You put someone on the back, I can't hold that thing up. Like when you come to a stop at lights and have to put your feet down, there's not a chance in hell I'd be able to hold it up with someone on the back. And I also just don't like the pressure of having, If at least if I crash, it's just me. Like I've only got myself to blame, but like, Imagine you crash and someone's on the back and then you have to apologise to them. Like, no, sorry, get the fuck, no one's getting on my back. <laughs> I would actually really recommend it, you know, for anyone that is like me a little bit iffy about driving a moped or maybe has had bad experiences in the past or kind of just overthinks these things. I know there's so many people probably listening to this that, because I know so many people that have literally just got on mopeds having never had any experience and being completely fine and I'm delighted for you guys. It's just can never be me. I'm a huge overthinker with these things. I just don't have that in me to just like jump on something like that and trust myself to not crash. But like I know my brother did that and I know plenty of people in Asia that did that and they were all completely fine. But if you're like me and you're a bit more of a nervous driver or have your uh, worries about it, I would highly recommend if you plan on ever getting a scooter when you're on holiday or traveling or anything like that. It was £200 for the course. It was actually my birthday present because I've been talking about it for so long. My mum was like, I'm getting you that before we go to Greece and before you go off to the Philippines in January. But to be honest, £200, very well spent in my eyes. Like that £200 will save me a lot of money in damages to other mopeds and crashes and, I don't know, stitches and wound cleaning and all that shit. So (laughs) yeah, £200 definitely well spent. Oh my god, my recommendation of this week, by the way, is an audiobook. Right, I have tried to get into audiobooks for the longest time. Like, I'm not even joking you, probably two or three years I've been testing out the waters with audiobooks, asking you guys for recommendations of what's good. And every time I start one, I honestly get like less than, well, less than an hour in audio time into it but I I don't know however many chapters literally less than like five chapters a lot of the time and I'm just like this is so boring I honestly can't listen to this any longer and I think what it is is that I'm so used to listening to podcasts where I love the person that's speaking and I love their voice and I like how engaging it is and I like how it sounds like either like they're speaking directly to you or like you're in on like a group conversation or like getting ready with people type of thing. So I think then to have like a more mundane kind of like boring narrator speaking a book to you that's not necessarily the most engaging thing. It just like you find yourself zoning out and then like 10 minutes later being like, okay, I've literally no idea what was just said over the last 10 minutes. But I thought I would give it another crack there recently because I just haven't been reading enough and I thought this would be a good way to 
maybe get me back into it or at least just get another book in the in the bag by listening to it instead of reading it and I downloaded Jeanette McCurdy's I'm Glad My Mum Died it's a memoir that she wrote about her relationship with her mum and her career in child acting and it was a very manipulative emotionally abusive relationship and she really like takes you on the full journey with her from when she's like six years old to the present day it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster and it's crazy because she's obviously telling it from her perspective of when she was a kid and obviously believe when you're a kid like you do believe everything your parents say obviously you look up to them so much and then obviously she's gone through so much therapy to now see the other side of it she tells it in a way where she doesn't reveal that new perspective until the end it's really good I highly highly recommend it I listened to it in three days well actually in the middle day of the three days I didn't listen to any of it so I guess I kind of finished it in two days it was that good like quite fucked up and shocking at times and also if you find people talking about eating disorders triggering I wouldn't recommend it just because she does talk a lot about her eating disorders and there was multiple of them and she yeah like she talks about it in great detail so just a pre-warning if you do find that triggering but yeah I thought it was amazing and it's really kind of kick-started me now to get into audiobooks but I think because now I know that I think the reason I liked that was because it was her memoir and she was narrating it and she was able to deliver it in the way that she wanted it to come across and she was able to do the voices of her mum and her brothers in the way that she actually experienced it and how she remembers it and what they were actually like. So maybe from now on I need to go down that kind of path, you know, just listen to like memoirs where people are self-narrating it because I think there's a good few out there where people have done that. I was actually thinking I would download Miriam Margulies' one and what was the other one? Someone recommended Lily Allen's one. Because I guess when it's someone talking about their, it's someone speaking their own memoir, it's kind of just like a really long podcast about their life, isn't it? Yeah, I will keep you updated with the audiobook journey because I'm going to download a few for my holidays. And we'll hopefully get through a good few physical books as well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, Jesus, right. The main topic of this podcast is now probably going to be shorter than the fucking intro at this rate. So let's <laughs> let's just dive right in. No, I'm never going to be able to say that now and take myself seriously. But anyway, this week I want to talk about whether it's preferable to be liked or disliked slash loved or hated over people being neutral towards you or people not really having an opinion of you. I feel like I know 100% where I stand for this one. Like, I know to my core I would rather be loved or hated than anyone feel neutral about me. I feel like it's so offensive if someone doesn't have an opinion of you. It just means, to me, okay, it doesn't mean this to everyone. I'm going to get into this in a minute because I feel like everyone's different when it comes to this. But to me, if someone was to say that, it would make me think, like, I'm just... I'm very boring and just like nothing. I'm not enough of anything to give you an impression of me. 
Do you know? It's like being really vanilla or being like flavorless mashed potato. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's all right. But like, it's not wowing me, but it's also not offensive to my taste buds. But then I feel like there's so many people, they'd rather just kind of go under the radar. They are pretty happy for people to not really have an opinion of them. They don't want to be in your face. They don't want attention. They don't want praise or conflict. So instead, they just by default then are a very like neutral person. And I can't see why people would like that. I just think that's not me. I actually thoroughly enjoy when people give me abuse for my outfits <laughs> because I know it sparked something. Like to me, I would rather walk past someone in the street and then burst out laughing or turn round, like give me a double take and look horrified when I look back rather than just be wearing like a pair of black jeans and a white t-shirt and no one even like looks twice at me. Do you know? That is where I stand on this. I feel like for everything in my life. I don't know if it's good or bad. You know what? I think it actually may be a creative thing. I feel like a lot of artists and designers, any creative, the last thing they will want is for you to not feel something about their work. The last thing they will want is for you to just be like, yeah, yeah, just to be neutral on something. They want you to love it or they want you to hate it. They want to spark emotion in you on some level. And if you hate it, that's fine because it still sparked something in you. Like think of all the crazy collections on runways that have sparked so much controversy and garnered so much hate but the designers are probably absolutely loving that and in fact they probably way prefer that than to get like a really neutral write-up about it and not really get people talking. Like what would that achieve? And it all kind of comes down to that saying what is it? It's like I think it's something along the lines of art is not supposed to be pretty. It's supposed to make you feel something. Like no creative wants to be beige. No creative wants to be known for being boring. Everyone's always trying to like push the boundaries and whether that's pushing the boundaries in a way that gets hate or whether it's pushing the boundaries in a way that gets love, ultimately it doesn't actually really matter. I think accepting that you'll never appeal to absolutely everyone and embracing who you are instead of you know, people pleasing and constantly trying to appeal to everyone, which is, as I said, just completely impossible, then you're obviously going to steer more in the direction of being someone that's liked or disliked as opposed to like being neutral. Because you could be the juiciest peach in the box, in the box, the tree, on the tree. I don't know. You could be the fucking juiciest peach in the world, but there's always going to be people that don't like peaches regardless, aren't there? So you may as well own the juiciness, the peachiness. What the fuck am I saying? My tummy's rumbling. Literally say the word peach once and my tummy starts to act like it hasn't been fed in 48 hours. That's another thing I was going to talk about actually is food because no one likes a neutral food. Well, I heavily judge people (laughs) that eat like really boring food. Why are you not giving yourself the experience of trying all these different weird, wonderful, amazing foods? Like, yeah, you might come across one the odd time that is not your cup of tea and you want to spit it out, but you're denying yourself of all these other amazing things that are going to literally blow away your taste buds and you're just choosing to eat chips and chicken nuggets every day or like chicken and rice with no seasoning. Like, why are you doing that to yourself? That's a form of self-harm. 
There's another group of people that really stand out to me when I think about this topic, and that is politicians. Because the last thing politicians want is for anyone to feel neutral about them. They are the definition of people that want you to either love or hate them. And Jesus Christ, are they good at doing that. (laughs) The amount of politicians I have very strong feelings towards in a hatred kind of way. Like, I don't don't really feel strongly about people on the internet and stuff. Like, I don't really care. You do you, you know? But politicians? Mm Mm-mm. Well, obviously not all of them, but, you know, that's what they want to do. They want to spark either... They want to appeal to the people that have those values or they don't want to appeal to you at all. They want you to heavily relate to them or not relate to them at all and then go completely to the other side. Do you know what I mean? It's of absolutely no use to them for to have a population of people that all feel neutrally about them because they'll just feel stronger about someone else in terms of actually liking someone and then they'll obviously vote for them. Like it does nothing for them for you to just have like a very neutral opinion of them. So they have to embrace what they stand for or what they say they're going to stand for and they have to basically just go completely hell for leather and accept on the way that there's going to be people that absolutely hate them but then there's also going to be people that absolutely love them and I feel like we need a bit of that energy maybe no sorry we I retract that statement I do not want us all turning into politician like people Jesus Christ that would be a horrible world to live in but maybe we just need some more of that energy to like embrace ourselves and accept that there are just going to be people that naturally aren't going to like you you can't appeal to everyone Do you know when it's really obvious for me how you can really tell from a person if they are the type that doesn't care if they're like liked or disliked or if they're someone that just like wants to be very neutral in something is in arguments. And look, I get not everyone wants to be arguing all the time and there are scenarios where people do just opt to stay out of it and they don't want to get involved. And that's fine. You don't need to get involved in absolutely every argument ever. But I do think it is really important to stand up for something if you feel it's necessary and if it's something that you're passionate about. And if you're in the scenario where someone is talking badly or has like the opposite views to you and you want to challenge it, I do think it's important to speak up at those times and to kind of get used to speaking out about certain things in scenarios where people wouldn't necessarily be challenged otherwise like if you weren't to stand up but as I said you know you're not gonna fight absolutely every battle I love a good debate especially when I've had a drink (laughs) but sometimes I need to consciously stay out of it or I'll get carried away but yeah I don't know it used to really piss me off like I went out with this guy who couldn't have been more of a wanted to be neutral person but to the point that it actually bothered me that I, there was never anything to argue about or there was never any conflict. Not in a toxic way. Like I'm, <laughs> that, when I say that out loud, that sounds like I want to fight and like in a toxic way, I want to be constantly fighting. I don't mean that at all. But like, obviously, when you're in a relationship, there are times where there's going to be conflicts. And I just felt like there was never anything from the other side. But to the point where I was like, I know he's just holding back. Like, I know there's obviously things going on in his head that he's not communicating and that's pissing me off. And anytime I would go to them with something or, you know, something had happened, it was always just kind of like met with, oh yeah, okay, sorry. Do you know what I mean? I just, there was never any, it was like, have a bit of a backbone. Like, I don't expect you to just constantly 
not have anything to say back like surely there's something going on in your head right now I don't know when I'm saying this out loud now I don't really know if it's making any sense and obviously I don't want to get too into it because Belfast is a small place (laughs) but anyway it just it got to the point basically where I was like there's never any conflict started on his side and that worries me because that's not normal Because when you get to a certain point in a relationship, like once you're past the honeymoon stage, there has to be things that you need to resolve. So obviously when you get to a point where none of that's being spoken about, it just means it's not being communicated. And ultimately that is what then ended up happening, is that nothing ended up getting communicated and then we ended. So in that situation, you can obviously see how trying to remain neutral and trying to just float through life and stay under the radar and not cause any conflict is it doesn't actually benefit you or people in your life like sometimes you actually are better standing up for yourself in these ways and just embracing who you are a little bit more and being more vocal about the things you think and the things you believe and just like how you feel I mean I'm sure there probably are times where maybe it is better to be neutral let's think about a few scenarios maybe in the workplace Although I would say this depends on your role. If you're in like a big office and you kind of just want to keep your head down and, you know, you're just, you just want to be there. You're just there for the the vibes, the money. (laughs) You're not there to like make loads of friends and have an amazing social life with your colleagues or anything like that. You're kind of just, you're just there to get by. And then your life is very much outside of work. Maybe in those scenarios, you just want to keep your boss sweet and you know, you're not looking to be best friends with your the people on your team, but you also don't want any enemies, I guess. Maybe in that scenario, be good to be neutral. Slip under the radar a bit in a big company, you know, get away with not doing so much. A time for me when I always want to be neutral in a situation is when two friends are like beefing and you feel like you're in the middle of it and both people are coming to you. I think it's really important then that you pick your words wisely. Like you don't want to say anything too opinionated on the topic that's going to end up pulling you to one side or the other or get repeated to one or the other person and then, you know, cause you to be in the middle of it. I think it's really important in that scenario to communicate that you don't want to be in the middle of it and you don't want to be a middleman and you're happy to be there and to listen to them. But like you're not having an input and you're not being dragged into one side or the other. I mean, you could even just set the boundary of just saying, don't talk to me about it. I don't want to get involved in this whatsoever. So that's a time I like to be neutral on something. But aside from that, don't really know if I have any other scenarios that I like to stay neutral in. I think with putting myself out there so much across social media, like I melt my own head the amount that I put myself out there. So I think because I know I do that, like I know there's going to be people that hate me for it. And that's fine. They're entitled to hate me. Like, it's none of my business at the end of the day. It is weird when you think about it. Like, if someone hates you, why? Do you, Would you want to know that? I don't think you would. As I said, it's none of my business what other people think. In the same way, I have every right to like or dislike people I see in real life or on the internet or on TV or wherever it may be. So do other people. But should you comment that? on the person's things probably not that's one thing I'll honestly never be able to wrap my head around I just can't grasp why it's like when people tag their friends as well and say something nasty and it's like 
why didn't you just direct message it to them? Like, there was no need for that to be a comment on the thing. I think people sometimes think stuff doesn't get seen, like comments don't get seen, but it's like, come on, like, if it's one of 12 comments in the comment section, obviously, you know, the creator's gonna see it. It's not like they're fucking Beyonce with, like, teams running their accounts. (laughs) Sorry, I would actually give my left arm to go to a Beyonce concert. I am so jealous of everyone going to them. Why did I not get tickets? And I watch every single video that comes up on my TikTok for you page of Blue Ivy. I'm obsessed with her and she has gotten so much better. So I remember seeing the first night she came out and she was all nervous and shy and then now she's literally slaying and I watch it to the end every time like a little proud mum smiling at the screen. (laughs) Anyway, don't really know where I'm going with this episode to be honest. I think if you take away anything from this podcast, it should be that you should have the courage to be disliked because in the process, you'll also have people that will love you. It doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks of you apart from like your inner circle and your loved ones, your family. I would way, way rather be a really spicy mushroom ramen that a lot of people hate because they don't like mushrooms and it's too spicy over some unsalted chips that everyone can eat, but you know they don't necessarily choose to on a daily basis or ever actually who the fuck eats unsalted chips okay the food analogies need to stop you get it i'm done (laughs) right i hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode if you did don't forget to give me a little five-star review on apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts share it with your friends share it with your family share on your instagram stories spread the hair for the crack word as always, thank you all so much for your continued love and support. It means the absolute world to me. I will speak to you in next week's episode. Bye.